My name is Joshua, and it is uh, great to be here. And uh, I just want to open by uh, telling you how humbled uh, Sherry and I are to be invited uh, to um, be your pastor and uh, to be somebody who, uh, by the grace of God, um, will share with you the word. And I don't take that lightly. My dad gives me a hard time because uh, he says it's really not about me. It's, it's about uh, y'all wanted to see my girls, uh, which I completely understand. So this is not going to my head at all. But uh, on a serious note, I know that it really is a, a really a, a, an honor and a, and a privilege um, to be with you. And I uh, want to open by saying that we begin our ministry together in uncertain times. Um, it's a, just a wild, wild uh, world out there. I don't know what's going on. I don't know if the four horsemen of the apocalypse have been released or uh, whether the eye of uh, Mordor is upon us or if the orcs are at the gates. I don't know what's going on, but it's getting funky out there. And uh, we live in a postmodern, a post-rational, a post-truth, and frankly, a post-Christian world. We just do. And, um, and all of those worldviews that are in rebellion against God, we're beginning to see kind of the consequences of them kind of played out before our eyes in everything that we see on the news all the time. And I was listening. You know, I, you know when you first get into a town, you've got to figure out where the radio stations are, right? For the car, you've got you to start programming your radio stations. I'm like, I've got to find the rock and roll station, station one. I've got to find the... Christian station, station two. I got to find some country music. I mean, you got to do country music. So I found the country music channel three and I was listening. So I caught the country station and there was this country song on. It was kind of catchy. So I started listening to it and the chorus was this and it kind of sums up our times. But the chorus was God is great. Beer is good. And people are crazy. You know, (laughs) it's like, there you go. That's how we begin our ministry. That is how we begin our ministry together. We're starting out, God is great, beer is good, we can debate that, but, yeah, and, and people are crazy, they're crazy, but I don't want you to be discouraged, because there's nothing new under the sun, it's not like this is the first time in the world, like God and, every, and all the angels are like, man, we have never seen this before. We've never seen an economic recession and political corruption. And, I mean, we've never seen this before. You know, I mean, God is not surprised. And the Bible says this very simply, that the godly man is unafraid of bad news. And you want to know why we're unafraid of bad news? Because God is on his throne and he is good And he is working all things out for our good. And the reason why he's brought us together sovereignly in this relationship is to continue to proclaim the gospel of the risen and exalted Christ who is on the throne. And it is just, I just get so fired up about that. And, uh, and I'm very excited about it. And so I wanted to start uh, our first teaching series. This is a four-week series, little itty-bitty teaching series uh, called The Ancient Pathway. The Ancient Pathways, and um, it's based on Jeremiah, and this will be up on the screen. We're going to go to 2 Timothy, but I just want you to see the verse that this uh, series is kind of inspired by. But Jeremiah chapter 6, verse 16, 
Jeremiah, who was also living in a time when God was great, beer is good, and people were crazy. And he has to prophesy to people as they're kind of going nuts. They're going crazy. And in Jeremiah 6.16, it says this. Thus says the Lord, stand by the roads and look and ask for the ancient paths where the good way is and walk in it and find rest for your souls. But they said, this is what we don't want to say. They said, we will not walk in it. And so they were unwilling to walk in the ancient past. They wanted to walk in the new past, in the, in the, in the progressive past. But God's calling us to walk in the ancient past. Again, Jeremiah 18, or um, uh, yeah, 18, uh, 18 and verse 15. Uh, God says through the prophet, but my people have forgotten me. They make offerings to false God. They made them stumble in their ways in the ancient roads and they to walk into the side roads and not the highway. We want the highway. We want the ancient pathways. And I think about if I, if I were starting this ministry about five years ago, I'd be like, this is our vision. This is where we're going. And I'd be like this visionary leader. You know, but really, I don't want to be a visionary leader. I want to be a pastor and a man that remembers, looks back at what's always been and to walk on the ancient paths. The ancient paths. And so we're going to talk about four ancient paths in the next month, all right? And then I'll pray and we'll go to 2 Timothy. Number one ancient path is Scripture. We got to walk in Scripture. You're like, duh. Like, that's so obvious. Yeah, but, but we got to walk in it, see? We, scripture has to be a priority that we're walking in. Number two pathway, ancient pathway, fellowship. Number three the ancient pathway of prayer. And the number four, tell me, we don't need this ancient pathway today, outreach, evangelism. People need to hear, and we got to be Jesus' missionaries in our culture, in our time, bringing the light. Sometimes it's not the presence of darkness that's the problem in our time. It's the absence of light. And we got to be that light. We got to be the shining city on the hill. We got to be salt and light in our world. So, outreach and evangelism. Those are the four ancient pathways that I want to talk about. And today, I want to start with Scripture. Walk in Scripture. Make Scripture a priority. So, as we're getting ready for that, let me pray for the message and then we'll get started. Father, thank you for your word. It is not only is your truth an ancient pathway, it's eternal truth. The truths of Scripture have no beginning and they have no end. And as far back as the pathway of Scripture goes, so it goes forward. Help us to walk in it. And God, I pray that the messenger would not get in the way of the message today, that you would remove me ultimately and that it would be you that speaks to me and to us as a church. Holy Spirit, I pray for your help. And Lord Jesus, I thank you for the gift of justification so that we could come together in grace and hear from your word, about your word, about the Bible today. I pray. And thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, turn with me to 2 Timothy, 2 Timothy chapter 3. 2 Timothy 
chapter 3. And while you're doing that, put this on your endangered list. Here's what's on the endangered list today. Blank spaces. Blank spaces. There's no more blank spaces left. Why? Because they're all filled with advertisements. All the blank spaces have been filled up in our day by advertisements. And I read a New York Times article. The title of this article was, Anywhere the Eye Can See, It's Likely to See an Ad. True or false? We see ads everywhere. And this article outlines all of the crazy places where we're seeing ads in our day. For example, when you go to the supermarket in some places in our country and you buy a carton of eggs, do you know that they're starting to put advertisements on the eggs? CBS has advertised all of their television shows on supermarket eggs. So it's like, I'm going to buy some eggs. CSI is on on Monday at 7. Like, that's really funky. Or check this out. This is a weird place for an ad. U.S. Airways, the airline, you know what I mean? They take their vomit bags and put ads on the vomit bags. I'm not even joking. So like, I'm going to chuck, right? I'm going to chuck on the airplane. I'm getting sick. Oh, Wonder Bread, you know? I mean, what? Airport security trays, you know, where you put the computer and your shoes and you take off the belt and the, you know what I mean? You're like, they're putting advertisements on airport security trays. But here's my favorite ad, all right? My favorite ad. How many of y'all have seen the Got Milk ad, right? Got Milk, you know, see? In San Francisco... They made a billboard that said, got milk, and then they wired it to emit the smell and odor of chocolate chip cookies. I am, this is New York Times, man. I am not lying. I did not Google that. That's in an article. Now listen, when the Bible, Proverbs says this, wisdom cries out in the marketplace. That's what Proverbs, wisdom cries out in the marketplace. And I'm pretty sure that that verse is not talking about the odor of chocolate chip cookies. True or false? That is so true. Wisdom cries out in the marketplace is about God speaking to us. God is speaking. And it's such a deceiving trick of our time that we're so distracted. People are like, I got ADD. Well, so do I. And no wonder. People are like, Pastor Josh, I love your sermons, but you know, I've only got an attention, def- you know, I've only got an attention span of like five minutes. Dude, stop looking at all the ads. And listen to the word of God. God is speaking. And what I want to do is I want us to focus on this one idea. I want us to make scripture a priority in our life at the same level of eating food. I want, I want, I want the Bible to have that kind of priority in our life. That, that just like it's a priority that when I wake up, in order for me to get through the day, I got to eat a meal, right? I got to eat a meal. Sometimes Sherry has to remind me, you've got to eat lunch. You start shaking. You get in a bad mood when you don't eat lunch. And listen to me. We need scripture like we need food. I love how Jesus always, he's like always comparing the Bible to food. He's like, man shall not live on bread alone. I'm grateful he didn't say, man doesn't even need bread. He did say that we need bread. But we can't live on bread alone, but by every word that comes by the mouth of God. David liked comparing Scripture to food, too. He said, he said your words, O Lord, are, are honey to my lips. 
honey to my lips. Uh, he's referring to Hebrew little boys in Old Testament times. They would make little Hebrew boys memorize scripture. But when they would memorize their scripture rightly for the day, you know what they got? They got a treat. They would put honey on their lips to remind them that the, that the law of God, that the word of God is like, it's sweet. It's, it's nourishing. It's, it's rewarding. What did you, I love Jeremiah. I love Jeremiah. Uh, Jeremiah 15, verse 16, he says, Your words were found, and I ate them. And your words became to me a joy and the delight of my heart, for I am called by your name. Your words are, are, are a delight, not, not just a meal, not like bland, but like a delight. I consume them, and, and, and the word delights me. It brings me joy. It brings me joy. That kind of priority. Like you look forward to eating the word every single day. That kind of priority. So the question is, I want to talk to you about this. The question is, well, okay, why? Why should I make it a priority beyond it's good food? Why? So I want to answer three questions. Why should we make it a priority every single day? Walk in this ancient pathway every single day, just like you eat Wheaties Open the word. Why should I do that? Secondly, how do I do that? So I'm going to get you fired up about it, and then I'll tell you how to do it. And then thirdly, what's the result? Like, what's the outcome of eating the word every single day, of putting it on my lips like honey, of, of tasting and seeing that it's good every single day? So let's start with why. And in your notes, you can put this, understand the Savior of Scripture. Understand the Savior of Scripture, and that will lead you to why it's so important to eat the Scripture every single day like you eat food. 2 Timothy chapter 3 is where we're at. These are where we're going to answer our questions, the why, the how, and what the results are. 2 Timothy chapter 3, starting in verse 10, the context is simply this. Timothy is a young pastor... And he's like the sweetest pastor of all time. Guy is like, he is the pastor that you want to have over to your house all the time because he's so nice. The problem is he was a little too nice. You know what I mean? He could get pushed around a little bit. He could be intimidated. He was timid. He was He was kind of soft. He lacked kind of the assertiveness that sometimes a pastor needs in order to shepherd a church. And so Paul is writing this letter to this young pastor, Timothy. And he's telling Timothy, dude, you got to buck up. You got to get you got to get some backbone here. And here's the deal. Paul's telling Timothy, these false teachers have come in and apostasy or false teaching is growing in our time and in our church. Apostasy is growing. But as apostasy grows, you have to remain in the book. You got to rightly handle the word of God. You got to be in the word of God. You've got to continue in scripture no matter what is happening or what the popular ideas or the teachings are that people are falsely believing. And so we pick it up in verse 10. He's just talked about how jacked up the false teachers are. He's like, they're lovers of self, they're lovers of money, they're lovers of pleasure, they deceive weak-willed women, they're, they're these bad people, they're, they're abusing people, they're opposing the truth of God, just like uh, false teachers opposed Moses. And then he picks it up in verse 10, and he starts talking to Timothy very directly, and he talks to us very directly, or the Holy Spirit talks to us directly. Look at verse 10. He says, You, however, 
have followed my teaching, my conduct. This is Paul talking to Timothy. You follow my teaching, my conduct, my aim in life, my faith, my patience, my love, my steadfastness, my persecutions and sufferings that happened to me at Antioch, at Iconium, at Lystra, which persecutions I endured, yet from them all the Lord rescued me. Indeed, Timothy, all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. No doubt, Timothy, like all of us. He came to Jesus and said, if I do what Jesus wants me to do, and if I'm doing God's will, and if I'm a good guy for Jesus, and I'm a pastor for Jesus, and if I'm a follower of Jesus, then people are going to really like that, right? Like, they're going to like that. And Paul's like, look, all who desire to live a godly life will be persecuted. Verse 13, while evil people and imposters will go on from bad to worse, deceiving and being deceived, and I would say to you, things aren't going to get better. They're going to get worse. People are going to continue to be deceptive. Politicians are deceptive. They always have been. Don't be surprised by it. I'm a, I got cable, by the way, which is a bad mistake. It was a bad, because I'm going to watch political news and I'm going to get all upset and I'm going to act all surprised that these people are liars and I'm going to throw things at the, at the TV and I'm going to be totally ungodly and I'm going to have to get rid of cable and repent. But Paul's telling Timothy, look, stop watching the political news and being surprised by deceivers. They're going to get worse. It's going to go from bad to worse. So don't worry about them. Verse 14, but, everybody say but. You did not cuss. That's just a conjunction. But as for you, conti- as for you, continue in what you have learned and have firmly believed, knowing from whom you've learned it and how from childhood you have been acquainted with the sacred writings which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. Sacred writings is a phrase that's never used of the Bible in the New Testament or anywhere else, but in Jewish literature it was used all the time to refer to the whole Old Testament as a means of teaching children. Sacred writings is the Bible, and he says, Timothy, as for you, you just keep eating the Word, no matter what's happening, no matter what anybody's saying, no matter, just keep eating it. Put, keep putting it on your tongue and your lips, say it's honey, be delighted in Scripture, Continue in what you have learned. Don't ever stop. And present tense, look at that last phrase, which I really want to focus on. It is present tense. It is able, right now, able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. And so he's not just saying, he is not just saying, I'm losing my breath because I'm getting so excited. So I'm going to pause and breathe. He is not just saying, read the Bible. He is saying, read and teach the Bible on purpose, on, for the purpose for which it was written. Because the truth is, is that false teachers had come into this church, and guess what they were using as their tool for teaching? They were using the Bible. And they were using the Bible to teach license. And Paul is saying the Bible's purpose is not just to be read, but to be read for the purpose of knowing and being saved in Christ. That the Bible is not a destination, it's a bridge to a relationship and to Jesus. It leads us to Jesus Christ. And if the Bible is not leading us to the worship and the relationship and the fellowship and the communion with the risen Christ, it doesn't matter how well you know this book, you've missed it. 
You could eat it every day, but if it doesn't lead you to the worship of Jesus and a relationship of Jesus, then you're gone. It doesn't matter. I could parse every Greek word, every Hebrew word. We could become the greatest biblical scholars in the world, but if it doesn't lead to a relationship with Jesus, then we have missed the purpose of the Bible. And in the New Testament, hear this, in the New Testament, false teachers used the Bible for two false types of teaching. Number one was license. They actually opened up this book, found the verses that they wanted to find to justify their sin before God to live in license. Oh, no, man. Money is great. Let's, let's get rich. Let's get healthy. Let's be a champion. To, all my illustrations, by the way, are Southern, and I hope you're cool with that. Right? I'm going to do the Southern preacher. I'm sorry. I don't know how to do the Northern Chicago guy. The bears, the bulls, the Bible. I don't know. I don't know. But false teachers were coming in. They sound like famous, best-selling, bookseller preachers. They're opening up. They're pulling out the verses they want randomly. And they're saying, you're a champion. You're so good. You can do better. You can do more. It's all about you. And it's this lies. And it feeds this being a lover of pleasure, a lover of money. It feeds this kind of having the form of godliness, but denying the power of God. And the Bible gets used for that purpose, license. But then... In the New Testament, it talks about another kind of false teacher, which is not license, but legalism. And false teachers were coming into the New Testament church, and they exist today. And they used the Bible as a moralistic self-help. You better get it right. Follow the rules, or God is going to reject you. They teach a doctrine from the Bible using real verses from this book and they pull out these verses, they extract verses and they say, if you obey God, then you will be accepted by God. But if you don't accept or don't obey God, then you won't be accepted by God. And you have, and of course, those kind of churches really attract type A personality, formula-oriented, control freaks who think they can get it done. They start feeling religious and proud because outwardly they're moral and virtuous, but their hearts are still corrupted, just like the Pharisees who were always using the Bible to justify their self-righteousness, to justify themselves before God, so that they thought that they could actually stand before God and say, Huh? Are you impressed, God? Because this... Is good. I am religious. I am pious. I am, I am this. That's a false purpose and it's a false teaching. You can't use the Bible as a rule book. It's not license. It's not legalism. It's a relationship with Christ and union with Him. In fact, uh, I, Howard Marshall, in his very technical commentary, which I cannot understand most of it because I'm from Oklahoma... All right, but I understood one little part when he was talking about the Greek phrase, in faith in Christ, the way it's used syntactically, grammatically, or whatever, it means union with Jesus. That scripture is able to lead you to wisdom for salvation through union in relationship with Jesus. So don't just read the Bible, read it on purpose. Don't look at the Bible as a destination, but as a bridge. 
I want you to think of the Bible as like this, not just food, all right, which I really like that image, but I want you to think of the Bible as a love language. That's what I want you to look at it as. It's a love language. How many of y'all have heard of that book, you know, The Five Love Languages? Have y'all, everybody raise your hand if you've seen it, heard of it. Okay, so you're aware of that book, all right? And guys, true or false, it's a nightmare when your wife shows up and says, I found this book, and it's called The Five Love Languages, and would you like to go with that with me? And I'm like, man, I need that vomit bag from the U.S. Airways. I need the bag. I'm going to puke. Oh, Lord, can I just watch some football? I just want to go down into the basement. I want to go to my man cave, please. <laughs> oh, there's only five of them. You know, like. <laughs> well, anyway, so I go through this thing, right? And, and actually, to be honest, I have to be a pastor. I have to be honest. You know, you guys don't have to be honest because, you know, you're out there. And I'm up here in the presence of God. I got to be honest. It's kind of cool. I mean, it turns out it's pretty cool. There's five love languages, right? There's words of affirmation. Right? There's quality time. That's the second one. Receiving gifts. Number four, acts of service and physical touch. Right? So the idea is you find out what your loved one's love language is, and then you do that thing in order to connect and to have fellowship and make a great relationship, right? So I learned that Sherry's love language is acts of service. So it turns out that my bodybuilding was totally ineffective. <laughs> I was off, like, by a long ways. I know the physique is, but seriously. It turns out that helping her in the kitchen, doing dishes, you know, vacuuming and every now and then, and, and helping with the kids. and cha- We used to change a lot of diapers. I got really good at that, by the way. It was, my technique is phenomenal. Isaac, Isaac, I will teach you. It's phenomenal. I just, it, wah, bah, bah, bah. it's really quick. But anyways, so if I help change the diapers, if I help in the living room, if I do that, then she just, she just, she just thinks I'm the man. I mean, you know, and it's great. She starts saying, you the man. And I'm like, I am, aren't I? The vacuuming, you like that technique. You know, it's good. So then she was like, she was like, she was like, what's your love language? And I was like, do I get more than one? You know, because I'm kind of into the physical touch thing. But turns out, though, I'm a quality time guy. And so as she spends time, if she wants me to open up and, you know, reveal my manly emotions or whatever, she has to spend quality time with me, right? It's a frequency. It's like the radio when you're trying to find a country station. You're like, wah, 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 wah. I'm a cowboy. You know, you find it. You find the frequency. You find the frequency. And communication starts happening. Now, here's what I want you to know. It's silly, but it's effective, and you'll remember it. Jesus' only love language to communicate with you is through Scripture. It's not through your feelings. It's not through some radical experience. His love language frequency to connect to you is Scripture. And when He said, my sheep know my voice, what He was saying was, my sheep know that I'm found in in the word or when he says in John 15 he says in John 15 if you abide in me and my words abide in you 
Ask whatever you wish, and it will be done for you. By this, my Father is glorified that you bear much fruit, and so prove to be my disciples. As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Abide in my love. How do I abide in his love? It's in Scripture, see? There's no other way. You're like, I need to hear from Jesus. You're like, Pastor Josh, I am devastated today. I, I have got to hear from God today. I want to know that He's there. I want to know that He'll provide at the end of the day. I want to know that it's going to work out. I just need to hear from God. And He's communicating today through this scripture. When Jesus said, Come to me, all who are heavy laden and burdened, and I will give you rest for your soul, you know what He was saying? Come to my word. Come to my word. There's no other way. This is a, it's a love language. It's a love language. You're like, okay, man. All right, now you got me fired up. So how? Okay, that's why. Why should we read the Bible? For the purpose of knowing Christ. So how do I do that? How do I do that? And I want you to write in your notes, not only understand the Savior of the Scripture, but number two, understand the supremacy of Scripture. But specifically, uh, verse 16, look at it with me. 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 16. And, and you know, the, this talks about the doctrine and the nature of the Bible. It's such a profound thing. But I find in this doctrine and in the nature of the Bible practical help or how I approach the Bible or how to begin to come to the Bible. But look at verse 16. It says, all Scripture is breathed out by God. Now, just stop there. Number one, if you have a pen, underline it. Number two, if you have a highlighter, highlight it. And number three, if you have a fridge, put it on the fridge. All right? Because that is a huge statement. All Scripture is breathed out by God. And in the Greek, Paul actually brings together two Greek words that have never been brought together before in the history of Greek language. To come up with a word that's never been used before for the breathed out by God. Literally, the Greek word, which I'm not going to attempt to say, but it, it means God breathed. All Scripture is God breathed. And if all Scripture is God breathed, that means all Scripture has supremacy, has authority. Has, if it comes from God, it stands above me. And I stand under Scripture because all Scripture comes from God. It's an amazing statement. Now, I want to give you some Bible facts real quick. I wrote these down. All script, everybody say all Scripture. The whole thing is God-breathed. Listen to this. There are 1,189 chapters in the Bible. There are... 41,173 verses in the Bible. And there are 3,566,480 letters in the Bible. I counted that all last night. I was counting letters. There are 40 authors who wrote over 1,500 years on three different continents, all right? Asia, Europe, and Africa. And what Paul is saying is that it's not the human authors who authored Scripture, 
but that it's God who divinely superintended Scripture. And the best picture I can give you is that in first, I won't go there, we don't have enough time, but Second Peter chapter 1, verse 21 talks about uh, human authors were carried along by the Holy Spirit, that all Scripture, these authors, are carried along. And that's a picture of a boat with a sail, and the boat is at the mercy of the wind. So if the wind's going to take the sail that way, the boat's going that way, it don't matter. And if the wind's going that way, well, then the boat's going that way. And when it says that all Scripture is God-breathed, I mean, these authors were at the mercy of the sovereign God of the universe so that what was recorded in the original manuscripts is absolutely perfect and from God. What this further means, the implication of the supremacy of Scripture and the authority of Scripture, is that if all Scripture is God-breathed, all Scripture is authoritative, then I don't get to pick which passages are inspired and which passages are not inspired. Amen? Like, I can't go to the verse about wives, and it says, Wives, submit to your husbands. And I don't get to say, Man, that's some inspired stuff right there. That's God-breathed. But then I get to ignore the later verse that says, Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and died for her, which means I'm to die. I'm literally to be sacrificed on a cross for my wife. I don't get to disregard that. Or I don't get to go to my girls, you know, and say, Now I'm going to give you some God-breathed stuff here today. This is God-breathed. Children, obey your parents that you might live long. Now, girls... (laughs) That is God-breathed stuff. But later on it says, this is God-breathed too, don't frustrate your children, right? It's funny. We pick the places that we like and we say, that's really good stuff. And the stuff that's convicting, we kind of push away. Supremacy of Scripture means that we we stand under the whole thing. No matter what it says, we're standing under the whole thing. And you know, words are only as good as the person who speaks them. So we can't really get fired up about the Bible unless we know that the one who speaks them is good. Who is this God who inspired it? Well, God is holy, which means morally perfect and beautiful. Totally beautiful. God is righteous. God cannot lie. God is loving and compassionate, but truthful. God is superlatively awesome. He is revealed to us with such pictures in Scripture as He is the Father, He is the Husband, He is the King, He is the Judge. This God is so superlatively awesome in creation, in redemption, in everything He does, that when He speaks, when He speaks, we should jump. When He speaks, our heart should dingoes the bell, red line. I mean, when this superlative God of the universe speaks, we should just tremble at His very word. And that's what leads to how you read the Bible. When you see it's so supreme, what you begin to understand is that it's to be desired more than gold, Psalm 19.10 says. It's to be desired more than the most valuable thing. Think about the most valuable thing you have. Maybe it's a cardinal shirt. Uh, Maybe maybe it's a new flat screen TV. or, or, Or maybe it's something even more important. What about your kids, right? Or your grandkids, or, 
or, you know, or your, your new pastor. You know what I mean? You know what I'm saying? And when, when you find something that, that, that is so easily acquiesced to, that, that when you find something that's so amiable, when you find something that's so beautiful, it's so easy, isn't it? To attend to it. To desire it. You know, if, 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 I come in, if I come into the office tomorrow and there's five emails in my inbox and one of them is from Sherry and one is from you, who do you think I'm going to read first? I mean, I like you, but she's hot. You know what I'm saying? I mean, I'm reading her, I'm reading her email because I love her. And, it, and the subject line could be, hi. And your subject line could be, there's going to be a nuclear explosion in 15 minutes. Dude, she had me at hello. Because I value her. She's better than gold. She's better than the stock market. She's better than political news. She's better than my depression. She's better than my fear. And when she writes, I read. When she speaks, I listen. When she walks, I look. You know what I'm saying. <laughs> we're Protestants here, you know. We're not Catholic. Uh... Think about God. I mean, think about God. God has spoken. And He's spoken for you. And He's spoken as a father to a child. And what that means... Applicationally and practically is that every day when you're at the water cooler and you're talking to that annoying person or uh, your kids are driving you nuts or, you're, or, you're, or, the, or the news is, is getting depressing, what you should do is in that moment just desire. Look forward to the time when you're going to open up the book and listen. Look forward to that 8 o'clock hour, 9 o'clock hour, 11 o'clock at night. It doesn't matter. At 11 o'clock tonight, I'm going to open up the Bible. I'm going to hear from God. Honestly, the trajectory of my spiritual life began to go this way as opposed to this way. When, when I was at work, I used to work at Mailbox, etc., which I now believe is the UPS store, which I don't even know if you all have. But anyways, I used to work there and box stuff and send stuff. And I was kind of this customer service rep guy and everything like that. But I'd be like sweeping at the end of the day, you know, I'd be closing late at night, and you know what I would do? I would just meditate, I would just be like, man, when I get home, I'm going to kiss my wife, I'm going to put her to bed, and I'm going to get alone with God, and I'm going to hear what he has to say. Desire, see, that's how you do it, you desire it, you anticipate, you, you begin to look forward in your day. It, it, it becomes this priority. I'm going to walk in it tonight. And when I'm not with it, when I can't read it, I'm going to be thinking about it in my head. What did I read last night? Man, I read that great verse. Psalm chapter 19, verse 10. Your statutes, are, O Lord, are to be desired more than gold. Galatians 2.20. For I've been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. In the life I now live, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and delivered himself. I'm just I'm meditating. I'm anticipating. I'm looking forward. I'm desiring. That's the most practical, most awesome thing I could tell you. Anticipate it. Desire it. That and pick a place to go and spend, there, spend time there for a month. I mean, pick, you know, 1 Timothy, 2 Timothy. Pick a book and just hang out there for a while with a red pen. I mean, look at this. 
I mean, I know I'm inches from being a redneck, but I mean, that's just, wow. That's sloppy, but you know, it's like you just, you just, God's speaking. Because all scripture, it's inerrant. It's uh, plenary. It's full. That's how you do it. What will the results be? Why should I read the Bible? What purpose? Well, as a bridge to know Jesus, have fellowship with him, to hear his voice. How do I do it? I desire it. I anticipate it because it comes from this supreme, superlative God. And so what are the results? Look at verse 16. And in your notes, number three, understand the sufficiency of the Scripture. Understand the sufficiency of the Scripture. What's it going to do? To me, all Scripture is breathed out by God and profitable, which means productive, sufficient, um, beneficial. It's profitable for, and here we get a list. This is what it's going to do. It's going to teach us for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness that the man of God may be competent, equipped, for every good work. You're like, wait a minute. Now, hang on there, Pastor Josh, because you just said earlier that it led to Jesus. And now it's talking about, like, rebuking me and stuff. So what's up? Well, see, God is not only saving us in Jesus. He's conforming us to the very image of Jesus. And the way he conforms us to, to the image of Jesus is through Scripture. And so the result of eating the Bible every day like food and making it a priority and walking in it as an ancient pathway from God is that the the result is going to be these things. Number one, it's going to be profitable, sufficient, beneficial, productive for teaching, as in doctrine, as it's going to give you a worldview. It's going to give you dogma. People say, I don't don't like dogma. I don't don't believe dogma should exist. Well, that's a dogma. You You just told me a dogma. That you don't believe dogma should exist, that doctrine should exist. We all live based upon a worldview, assumptions about the world. And the Bible is profitable to give us a worldview by which we understand everything there is to understand in principle about God and to understand everything there is to understand in principle about human beings and human life. That's teaching. That's doctrine. It's profitable for teaching, for reproof. Everybody say reproof. I know, I had a hard time with that too. But it means to rebuke. It means that the Bible is sufficient, productive, beneficial to rebuke us. Which means, and it's hard for me to believe this, that anybody or anything could say this to me. But sometimes the benefit of the Bible is it looks at you and it says, No. Sometimes, unlike the 5,000 advertisement ads we see every day, it says to you, you are wrong. It, it rebukes us. It, it comes to us. It convicts us of sin. It highlights, it puts on our magnifying glass those, those things in my heart that are in rebellion against God. It brings under a magnifying glass those things in my life that are, that are not consistent with the righteous life, and it points it out. It points it out. It rebukes us. Now, that's the negative part, but here's the positive thing. Number three, it corrects us. It's profitable for correction, which means as soon as it tells you it's wrong, it then tells you how to get back on track. 
the word in Greek, which I'm not going to attempt to say, for correction, <laughs> it, it, it was used in secular Greek to, to pick up something that's fallen down and set it upright again. So if your lamp in your living room falls down, in a Greek way, if you pick it up and set it upright, you're correcting it. And the Bible, it comes and says you're wrong, but then it picks you up. And it sets you on your feet. And it says, this is the way you should go. And then finally, my favorite phrase, it's profitable, sufficient. What's it going to do? It's going to train you in righteousness. Training. Greek word, paideon. I don't even know if I'm saying that right. I went to seminary. I have no clue. But I do know that there's a Greek word for training. And what it means is to train a child. It was used to train a child. And I love that picture. And the reason why I love that picture is because the Bible is calling us children. Amen? It's calling us kids. It's calling you a child. Now, I might be the master of my living room. I might be the hero of my girls. But in the presence of a superlative God, I'm just a little itty-bitty kid. And, 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 And what it... What it's telling us is that God uses the Bible to train us, not as adults, but as his kids. And that captures the tone because many people, the reason why they don't read the Bible is because they hear a tone of anger or authority or they hear the tone of a pastor who sounds like he swallowed a communion rail, you know, for God so loved the world. You know what I mean? We hear this tone of this like, you know, lightning Zeus God or something. And really the tone of the Bible is a father, God speaking to us as a father. And he comes down to us and he teaches us and he trains us and and he loves us and he keeps it simple. I need it to be really simple. You know what I mean? And he comes down. I love, I love to teach my girls how to ride a bike. I've only got one girl left to teach. And I love doing, it's like my favorite thing to do. Because I get their little Barbie bike, right? And it's all pink and purple and it's sparkly and it's like got this little thing and a little basket on the front. And you know what I do with that bike? I get on that sucker, right? And I'm just like, what, what, what? This is the way it goes. It goes like this, honey. What, 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 what? And I go down and then I jump off. And I'm like, did you see that? And I'm like, yeah, daddy. And then they get on and then I hold on to them and I'm like, you got it? What, what, what? You know, and then they'll fall down. I'm like, no, that's not the way it goes. And I get back, I rebuke them. And then <laughs> I'm like, no, that's wrong. What's wrong with you? And I get back on and I'm like, what, what? You know what I mean? And here I am. I'm this big man. <laughs> getting on this little bike to train my kids. Isn't that everything God has done? I mean, isn't that the essence of Christianity and the gospel and incarnation? God became a human being. So he could, wah, 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 wah. it's not like he came and like he was like, this is such a great place, I think I'll stay. You know, it's like, he came to train us. He speaks to train us as his kids. Get that tone In your head, he loves you and he wants to train you in righteousness. Finally, it says, so that you, so that you will be equipped for and fitted for what he's called you to do in this world. Dude, that is awesome. You know what that, all of that means is that this is like the best daggum thing you got. It really is. It's the most valuable thing you got outside of a relationship with Jesus Christ. The Bible, you know what it is? The Bible's a GPS. 
It's a GPS. Now, when those, when, those, when those GPSs came out, I hated them. I resented the fact that they existed. I was like, this is the problem with modern technology. And I was so stubborn, I didn't want to get one. You want to know why I didn't want to get one? Because I can figure it out. I don't need, give me a map. A map and this brain. <laughs> They've totally taken away from our relationships that whole conversation of, you want to get directions? No. <laughs> like they've taken that from us. So anyways, I was so stoked. A couple of years ago, I'm on vacation. I'm in the middle of New Mexico in the middle. And it's like 2 a.m. in the morning. I'm in New Mexico. I'm trying to find some mountain somewhere. And I get lost. You want to know why I was lost? Because I wouldn't get a GPS. And even at 2 o'clock in the morning, this woman, this cute, sweet, beautiful woman was so mad at me. And she's like, would you please pull over and call somebody? And I was like, I can figure this out. (laughs) She's like, we are dying of starvation now, you know. And and so I get like, I'm almost in Mexico. It's so bad. I got to turn around. I finally get to the place where I'm going. And my buddy that I hang out with, that we were on vacation with another family, he says to me, Josh, you've got to get, dude, like this is the 21st century. Get a GPS and find your way home. So I get, he had a GPS that I could use on my way home. And I get it in my car. And of course, it's a female voice. I was like, this is a conspiracy. Of course it's a female voice because you women always know where you're going. So she's like, please turn right on, you know, Lincoln Street. I'm like, shut up. I tried to turn down the volume. Sherry's like, keep the volume up. I was like, I don't want to hear her. You need to hear her. That's what she said. I kept the voice up. I've come to fall in love with that voice now, actually. (laughs) I really like her. But I love, I love, love, love that little phrase that those things uses, right? Because when you miss the turn, and I still miss the turn, even with the GPS, <laughs> I miss the turn. And what's she say? Recalculating, you know. <laughs> the Bible, the Bible recalculates, see. And it, it elbows its way into your life. It's not enough to believe in the doctrine of the inerrancy and infallibility of Scripture. Those are all important. It's not enough until you allow the Bible to come and to get into your stuff and to mess with your life and to, I'm dropping glasses. And, it, and to, you know what I'm saying? It just, you have to let God, through Scripture, mess with you. Rearrange and recalculate your life. And the good news is, is we'll never be perfect with this. In fact, if anything, if this, if this passage teaches us anything, it's that we're so fallen and we're so sinful that the first step to really getting to a place of proper motivation and using the Bible rightly is to believe and surrender to Jesus Christ. He did it all for us. Think about what he did in temptation. What did he do when Satan tempted him? He quoted Deuteronomy. What did he do when he talked to the Pharisees? He kept saying, it is written. And what did he do when he, when he died on the cross? He said, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? He quoted Psalm chapter 22. Some scholars think he might have quoted the whole thing. I mean, it, Jesus literally, when you, when you pierced him or when, when he bled, he literally bled scripture because he was a perfect man. 
because we're imperfect. He had to represent humanity as a perfect man. But then as God, he, he died for us and rose again and defeated death and gave us the gift of the Holy Spirit so that our eyes could be enlightened, so that we could live in union with him. He could live in us and through us and give us the resources by virtue of our fellowship with him to desire the Bible like he desired it, to know it like he knew it, so that we would answer Satan's every temptation with Scripture. We would know it, love it, and use it in our life. So please do not separate or misunderstand me. The Bible is not to be worshipped. Jesus is to be worshipped. And the way to the Bible is to believe in the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. Amen? Let's pray. God, we're all at different levels of intellectual understanding of various verses and concepts in the Bible. But we're all in the same boat in our need to hear it today, to hear from you today. Some of us have heard more sermons on the Bible than others. Some of us know more of the background issues of the Bible than others. But we all need to hear from you through Scripture today. Most of us, Lord, believe in doctrine statements about the authority of Scripture, but help us to walk in the sufficiency of Scripture for our lives. God, we all confess and believe that Jesus is good, but help us all to confess that He is Lord, He is your Son, and He died for us. Help us to walk in the truths and the beliefs that we are more sinful than we ever thought we could possibly be, but that we are more loved than we ever dared hope to be loved because of the death and the resurrection of Jesus. If you don't believe in Christ, I want to call you to come to Him right now. He is the purpose. He is the destination. The Bible ultimately is a bridge that teaches you that you have fallen, but that he has forgiven. And you need to believe in him. Yes, you do. And I would just encourage you to do that. I would encourage you to say, Lord Jesus, you died for me and come into my life right now. And if you can do that, just let somebody know. Let the church know. Send an email. Make a phone call to me. I'll be in tomorrow. Or tell me after the service. I'll be here for a while afterwards. And just grab me and let me know. Let somebody know. Let us pray with you. For the rest of us, let us walk in the ancient pathways. Let us eat the Bible every day, just like we eat food. Amen.